we've been talking about recently a global event that's happened over the course of the last year. How is how are you doing in New Zealand with the global event? The global event is comparatively being well handled here. Certainly not without effect. We've been trapped inside our houses for various amounts of time. I think we're bombarded with evidence of how other countries are dealing with the event, and so no one is allowed to complain in New Zealand. We are not allowed. Is it an oppressive uh, culture there, an oppressive government? Do you feel like it's a, a police it state? Is, the, is that how you describe New Zealand? It's a warm blanket of authoritarianism. Um, which is really what you want in a crisis, just like a, a nice beer hug from a dictator to keep you safe and warm. Uh, <laughs> Asheville, North Carolina, there was my favorite graffiti ever was Asheville's kind of like a, it was a hippie town and then it turned into this kind of arts and crafts kind of community. Some angry kid had spray painted uh, where good energy rules with an iron fist on one of the walls. <laughs> that was, that was the uh, rebellious kids in this hippie commune-like community. <laughs> you got to rebel. Teenagers got to be teenagers no matter exactly. where they are. Let's get into it. Welcome to Lost and Found and Rewound. I'm Chris Lost. I'm Found Jim. And I'm Rick Re... Oh. <laughs> I'm Rick Rewound. <laughs> Can we also have these these secret names, but we don't know how to say them? So it's it sort of defeats the purpose of... Of having these these secret names. Anyway, like all the best podcasts, we're going to get all of our segments out of the way before we announce our guest. <laughs> I want to start out by doing everybody's favorite segment. I apologize. I have to apologize to uh, my wife, who I mentioned in our last episode as being someone who never listened to indie rock. That's not accurate. She got upset about me saying that. She does listen to indie rock, and I guess I'll, she just she just listens to the good indie rock. She doesn't listen to all indie rock. So on a rare occasion, I'm going to say, Sarah, I'm sorry about misrepresenting your musical tastes. Rick, you've got some apologies yeah. this episode. Is that right? Yes. I'd like to apologize to Steve Lillywhite, who was one of the four people who takes credit for the... Uh, Intruder drum sound, also known as the Phil Collins 80s drum sound. I said it was Gus Dudgeon, who was Elton John's producer and also later produced an XTC record, and I got Gus Dudgeon confused, but it was Steve Lillywhite, Hugh Padham, Peter Gabriel, and Phil Collins. And then, um, what else did I... Oh, yeah. It was not a Wallensack tape machine that created the extra echo on when the levee breaks on the drum sound. It was a Binson Echo Wreck which Jim was rightly commenting that it was also used extensively by Pink Floyd on the Echoes album. <laughs> those are my apologies. I don't even know if you could forgive those mistakes, yeah. to be honest, but I appreciate the apology. I mean, some Shame. things aren't forgivable. Shameful. Let's get to our guest. So listeners, for reasons that will become apparent in this episode, we have booked a stunt guest for uh, the announcement of our next regular programming film. That said, uh, this guest's renown goes far beyond the reason we booked him. He's been appropriately labeled one of the brightest young comedians in the Southern Hemisphere. He is a stand-up comedian, he is a television host, he is a radio DJ, he is a musician, and he is a shining star in the world of podcasting. He founded the Little Empire Podcasting Network, featuring the hilarious Boners of the Heart and the Male Gaze. He is also the host 
of a movie review podcast that is seven years in, in the making. Is that right, Tim? Seven years? Where they've reviewed the following films for an unbearable amount of time. Grown Ups 2, <laughs> Sex in the City 2, We Are Your Friends, Sex in the City 1, Home Alone 3, Cats, Doolittle, and the Emmanuel Film Franchise. Not to mention his annual Thanksgiving podcast with the McElroy brothers, Till Death Do Us Blart, where they are reviewing Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 annually until they die. <laughs> Listeners, please welcome New Zealander Tim Lost. Hey, that was the best intro I've ever received in my life. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. Although, I would say I would feel very bad about wearing the label of musician because I'm not one. And sometimes I, l I like to pretend I'm things I'm not, but that I feel like I need to earn that. But you were a drummer, right, at one point? In I your, was a drummer. I've been a, a trumpet player for a little while, but like, I, I, it took me, honestly, probably about seven years of doing stand-up till I could become comfortable with calling my, describing myself as a comedian. So I'm definitely not there with music. <laughs> <laughs> well, were you, well, I mean, because you played the drums, were you insulted by the things that Rick got wrong? One, you know, not knowing the proper fourth producer on that um, Peter Gabriel album, and then also not knowing the appropriate delay that was used on When the Levee Breaks. Was that, as a drummer, were you insulted? Rick's apology served as a good litmus test for whether you can or cannot describe yourself as a musician. <laughs> so if you were outraged, which is correct, uh, then you can call yourself a musician. If you were slightly bamboozled, as I was, <laughs> then you have no right to that title. That's fair. Rick says a lot of things on the show that, that confuse me as well. Rick, Rick and Jim, uh, actually, I wanted to do a segment with, with Tim after his introduction called By the Numbers. Tim, by my calculations, you were born in 1988. Is that true <laughs> or false? It's close, but false. <laughs> okay, what, 1987? Yeah, you got it. Well, when you were one years old, I graduated high school. Congratulations. Thanks. And Rick <laughs> released his first album, right, Rick? 1988? Well, it was a cassette. It was a cassette, <laughs> but it was an album. We recorded, a... we recorded um, in the summer of 88 some of the tracks that, are on our, that, was, that were on our first album. So, yeah, I was... And I think I, I had already left college... <laughs> These are leaving some great breadcrumbs for people online to figure out how, who you guys are. <laughs> I think all of our listeners know who we are because all of our listeners are fans of Rick and Jim's band. So, or, I don't, I'm, that's my assumption. I think that's our Ponder crowd. that <laughs> one remaining listener who hasn't connected the dots yet. <laughs> Rick and Jim, Tim is from New Zealand. Have you toured with any New Zealand bands that Tim might know? Because Tim does know a ton about music. He's a student of music past and present. We played a show with, a couple shows with Belter Space, right? Yeah. Uh, when was that? That would have been right around the time Nin you were born. <laughs> 19. No, a little yeah. later. <laughs> 91, 91. Yeah. At the, um, old, the old knitting factory in New York. And in fact, Dean Wareham was there. So Dean from... Uh, yeah, we... Uh, Galaxy 500 is from New Zealand, but has, I believe has been a New Yorker for 30 years. We met him at that show, and then we played shows with Luna. Yeah. But I don't know if he, does he still count as a New Zealand musician? He still had an accent. He, he had, did. Yeah. He yeah. Didn't sound we toured, like a New Yorker. 
our other band, our electronic band, opened for Luna on a couple shows, and he still that was in the nine late or the early two thousands. Well, yeah, late nineties. You know, it was in Baltimore and France. <laughs> I think I believe we played with them. That's right. It wasn't a tour. One night right after the other. That was the crazy thing. <laughs> no, it was. You took the Concord. Yeah, just like <laughs> Phil Collins did during Live Aid. Again, a reference from before our guest was born. Is the Concorde a reference? Before, before When did they stop flying no. the Concorde? What year did they stop flying that? Tim, do you know what the Concorde is? <laughs> I sure do. That's a good question. I, th- I feel like I remember when they retired it. I think yeah. it was the early 90s, like maybe 93 around then. It was the 2000s. Oh, was it? Yeah. They had that, that crash and in France, maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> Have you read the article on why they retired the Concorde? No. The crash was the impetus for them to do it, but it really was not cost effective to keep it running because yeah. you, you needed two. For some reason, you need two of them to make it cost effective. And then building one in the modern era would have been ridiculously cost prohibitive. So like once they got down to one, they're like, we can't afford to build another Concorde. We're, we're done. <laughs> It's like building one telephone. It's like we've got this incredible invention that'll let you communicate simultaneously to anyone on Earth. We can't build a second one, though, because the first one bankrupted us, rendering it completely fucking useless. As you can tell, as a film podcast, we we seem to really lose track of our uh, theme and and go quickly into obscure music trivia. It was like 1983, right? Was that Live Aid? 84. And then, then it's like just a bunch of old men trying to remember dates. <laughs> it was uh, July 13th, 1985. 85. Wow. wow. Yeah, John F. Kennedy Stadium in Philadelphia. Everyone assumes it was New York, but Philadelphia, man. Were your parents even married then, Tim? <laughs> yeah, I'm the third child, so oh, yeah, they okay. were together. My dad's a huge Queen fan, so I'm sure oh, he, yeah. was, he was watching. If it was on in New Zealand, which is not a... <laughs> As big as that event was, not a given. We probably got it in like 1992, 93. They eventually shipped over the tapes and we had a big broadcast event. Is that when did New Zealand get television? Is that like 1990 or 91? All right, here um, we go. Color television. We got color television in 2001. I remember that. Um, At the one house. So yeah, actually- it was great. We all came around. Uh, every, every, the interesting thing about that is we had to coordinate that everyone would bring different snacks so we didn't double up. And we watched um, <laughs> Princess Diana's funeral, which again was uh, four years after the fact, but we just got the tapes. So it was a somber but salubrious occasion because we had color but had lost the people's princess. Did you not know at that point that she was dead? And then We had no idea. No idea till we got the tapes in 01. Yeah. And then 9-11 really took us by surprise in 2010. So that, like, we've just been constantly on the hop. Tim, I do a, an ugly American bit on this show. I, I've took a few jabs at New Zealand for being a small country in our next episode. Well, look who's laughing now in this current era, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the last episode was taped before the global event. But I, I reminds me of a story. I, I went to take my 
girlfriend, now wife, to meet my grandfather up in Chicago. I live in Kansas City, which is a, a city that's roughly a tenth, maybe an eighth of the size of Chicago. Uh, Chicago's a big city. You've I've met you in Chicago. We were, we saw each other in Chicago. Um, I've been to Chicago for 36 hours. Great city. <laughs> Great city. It's, a, it's, I think, the third biggest city in the States. I don't know if you know this, but it's a toddling town. <laughs> Isn't that? It's the Tottenham Town. That's, that's, how the, that's how the song goes. Yeah, Chicago. You have to listen to the song, too. Yeah. So I take my wife to meet my grandfather, go to my grandfather's house, and he calls the neighbor down to me. He's like, oh, my grandson's coming in from Kansas City. He's going to bring his girlfriend. I want you to meet her. She gets there, and, and the neighbor comes up, and he goes to my wife. He's like, oh, Kansas City. You grew up in Kansas City? She's like, yes. He's like, oh, hey, so uh, do you know Jim Burleson? He uh, works down at the bank. And she's like, I don't know. Sorry, I don't know Jim Burleson. There's lots of banks in, in Kansas City. And he's like, okay, great. So he leaves, you know, and then like driving on the way home, you know, I just hear it for an hour. It's like, you know, motherfucker, what does he think? There's only one bank in Kansas City that, you know, it's like we got wood sidewalks and dirt streets too, you know, and I'm like... <laughs> I'm just like, calm down. So then she gets home. And, but the whole time she's like, I do know a Jim Burleson. I do know a Jim Burleson. <laughs> so then she gets home and she asks her mom, hey, you know, just for shits and grins, mom, where does where does Jim Burleson work? And she's like, oh, yeah, because that's her neighbor. It's a, they're like a guy that lives a couple doors down from their mom. He works at the bank. So, so it was like it was the same guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that little anecdote, there's definitely – I. Because I figured that's why you reached out. You were like, hey, this movie's from New Zealand. I know one New Zealander. I'm sure that they have all of these reference points to the actors and the scenery and stuff. And I was coming in like, fuck you, man. We're not that small. And then I watched the movie and I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> I had that exact same experience where it turns out. Yeah, it's, it's the same bank. It's the same guy. I am pretty connected. <laughs> well, let's let's hop into that a little bit. So the the movie, uh, Jim, you picked it. Why don't you announce it? And then Tim, yeah, I thought it would be funny if you didn't have if there was no relevance to you. Uh, it would just be great to have you on because I haven't talked to you in a while. But Jim, why don't you announce the movie? And Tim, if you could tell us if there is any connection or or relevance to you in that film. Well, it's The Quiet Earth. And it's from, I think, what was it, 1985, the year of Live Aid, which I saw. Yeah, I saw it about probably a year after I rented it. I didn't see it in the theaters, but I saw it on videotape and it really stuck with me. It was like, oh, this amazing sci kind of sci-fi movie that's very uh, original and not a big budget, obviously, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's like a, just a great story and it, they pulled it off. You know, it's like this empty world. Basically, somebody wakes up and thinks he's the only the last person on earth so it's a it's a theme that there's other movies like that i guess but this one just they pull it off it's really well done and it's probably one of the first new zealand movies i ever saw maybe i, I think about it now it's like uh, yeah i don't know but it was like oh this is i you know of course i'm gonna bring up the the whole australia new zealand thing yeah it was like obviously i've seen <laughs> road warrior you know it was like that was a few probably a year before two years before the second i never saw mad max until you know i saw road warrior but maybe at some point it was like oh, it's kind of like they talk they they kind of sound the same it was kind of like <laughs> keep <laughs> but, talking jim i know I'm just, i don't just know what i'm doing what i'm trying deeper to do. and but deeper anyways, hole you're saying that australians and new zealanders are essentially the same yeah People um, obviously can't see me on a podcast, but I'm turning beet red and my fists are shaking in furious, righteous anger. 
See, I'm trying to cover both sides. See, because Rick and I have cousins who are Australian. We've yeah, Rick and I've been to Australia, but we've yeah, we've never been. To, I've never been to New Zealand. You gotta come. It's better. It's better here. <laughs> it's kind of like saying, "Oh, you live in Illinois. I have a friend who lives in Kansas." Sure. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Or I know but, a guy who works at the bank. You know, well, first of all, I, I live in Missouri, not Kansas. Oh, that's I mean, right. I'm sorry. That, that messed up thing, too, with Kansas City. You Let's guys say, are making we... a mistake of thousands of miles, and then, Rick, you're making a mistake of, of five miles, and I'm furious about it. So can't, correct me if I'm wrong. So, Tim, you need to understand this. Kansas City exists both in Kansas and Missouri. It's, it's split down the middle and goes across two states. Am I correct about that, Chris? Yeah, so is St. Louis. St. Louis exists in Illinois and Missouri as well. well no, they, they call it East, East St. Louis. Louis. That's a difference. Whereas that's um, that's really stupid, guys. Someone <laughs> should probably fix that. So that, that seems like a really easy thing to fix as well, based on the fact that state borders are completely arbitrary. So <laughs> why is that the case? So Chris lives in Kansas City, Missouri, but right across it's a river, right? Right across the river is Kansas City, Kansas. And so if you make it, yeah, so obviously, and they get bent out of shape, similar to, you know, the Australian, New Zealand kind of conversation when you tell Very a person. Similar. Yeah, Very similar. Very like, similar. Yeah, I mean, we do have literally an ocean between right. our two countries. So it's a, it's a little more discreet. In well, there's water. water. But I hear yeah. what you're saying. It's water. Yeah. yeah. It's water. There's a body of water. You could still drown if you walked into that water, same as an ocean. Is it the Missouri River? It's it's, it's not. What river is it? It's the Missouri River. Yeah. What what river separates New Zealand and Australia? <laughs> the Missouri River. It's the same river. <laughs> same river. It's They're really connected. Long. They're definitely connected. The Kansas River just runs through Kansas, Jim. It runs through Lawrence. We remember we'd go sit out by the oh, yeah, yeah. Missouri River. Lawrence, Kansas, or Lawrence, Missouri. Lawrence, Kansas. There's no Lawrence. Well, I don't know if there's a Lawrence, Missouri or not. There's a Mexico, Missouri. There's a Bruno Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. You know, they all it all ties together. Tim, please stay on topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one thing we ask the guests to do. Please, just don't go off on a tangent. <laughs> My bad, Rick. Well, if the guest doesn't stay on point, there's yeah, nothing's going to stay on point. <laughs> Yeah, the guest job is to keep us on point. Exactly. Can I can I give you some background as well, since we're on a tangent already? So I've got raw honey at my house at the moment that I've poured into this beautiful cup of coffee. And because it's raw, like I just, I, and I was in a hurry to make sure I got here on time, which, by the way, I didn't need to do. Uh, but <laughs> at any rate, I thought I did. And now, like, there's essentially really beautiful natural honey in my coffee, but also a thin film of candle wax at the top. <laughs> So every time I, like, <laughs> take a sip, I have to clear candle wax off my lips. So just so you guys know, that's what's happening here. It's not Coke. I'm not brushing the Coke. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> if I'm going on a movie podcast, you know, as a guest, I want to bring my A game. For that, I need my A-class drugs. You do an era-appropriate era drug, so it's an 80s movie, so that would be, yeah, cocaine. Exactly. Had you seen this movie, and have you seen this movie, Tim? I had never seen The Quiet Earth. Chris, when you got in touch for me to come and join you guys for a discussion on this, because it is one of those movies that I've heard lots about and had never watched it. I had to split my watch between, I went to bed last night at midnight and then had to get up to go on the radio really early. So I'm not, I watched half of this movie last night just before I went to bed and then the other half on a bus traveling <laughs> back home this morning 
And I'm so glad that there was like a slightly forced opportunity for me to watch it because I freaking loved it. Yeah, it's great. It was so good. Mm-hmm. And Jim, you, you mentioned that this is not a big budget movie. I, I guess like I'm calibrating it's for New Zealand for 1985 because yeah. I keep going, wow, <laughs> this is, was a big budget sci-fi for like for the where and the when. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty big. Yeah, it, well, it looks it looks great. I watched it with the commentary, like the director, the producer, and it oh, definitely cool. was kind of a the the comment the CD the DVD had a CD the DVD had a uh, commentary track on it, and so there it definitely they knew each other. It was all kind of a labor of love, and everybody we were joking about yeah the New Zealand small place, and but it definitely they were all kind of everybody the film industry in New Zealand was pretty small then at that time and oh, they all yeah. knew each other and compared to Hollywood it definitely was a small budget but yeah it doesn't matter yeah it looks great and they pulled it off sure yeah, yeah. maybe even before Peter Jackson did Brain Dead Dead Alive is the name of Brain Dead in America I think it's Dead oh Alive. yeah that's uh, yeah that's it in 1988 my friend and I Scott who has been on the show walked into a gas station completely inebriated and decided to rent a film randomly out of the gas station he picked bad taste peter jackson's bad taste i think it was 88 because it was really early in our college careers 88 or 89 so about the you know you're a couple years old tim and we took it back to wherever we were hanging out watched it and then proceeded to puke because it was such a disgusting (laughs) film uh but uh, it was all mostly because we were so drunk. But, you know, that film, uh, I own a copy of it, uh, like a collector's edition copy of it today. It's an, it's an amazing movie. And talk about stretching a budget. Uh, both those films, Dead Alive and Bad Taste, are just phenomenal films for the budget that he made them for. And I think uh, both sponsored by the government. All of our films, are, I assume The Quiet Earth, I didn't see anything. I just had a cursory look on the wikipedia page and didn't see anything about it but like most stuff to get across the line in new zealand is partially funded by the film commission here Mm -hmm. um there's very few films that aren't really just because we didn't have the infrastructure to to be able to get get it done which i'm sure you found out listening to the director's commentary that Mm -hmm. i would love to listen that director's commentary it'd be super interesting yeah because this was like a real what was freaky for me was seeing all these places because it was shot predominantly in auckland which is where i live Mm -hmm. in fact okay so i'll give you some touchstones for me right once again i was coming into this movie with this kind of thing in the back of my head that i was like oh chris got me in because i'm a kid yeah like i'm gonna be able to connect all these dots to the movie (laughs) but then he mentions that the first place where he is like his house is in Grey Lynn literally where I am now where I've lived for 10 years so I'm in that suburb the first house that he goes to the like rich person house the first one I got married there wow. that's where I had my no wedding no. Wow. yeah 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 the radio station that he goes to to tape his broadcast you see the logos for Radio Hauraki which has got a picture of a boat on it so that was my first job in radio was working with a guy called Kevin Black who was like one of the legendary announcers from Radio Hauraki wow so there was just all of that and they all kind of happened in the first like 25 minutes of the film I was like well shit and then he's just travelling around the middle of Auckland City and there's shots of Queen Street which is the, the main artery here and it 
it's so crazy to have that historic snapshot because it looks completely different now. And there's only a couple of buildings. There's like uh, the ferry terminal where you can judge what you're looking at because everything else around it has changed. Wow, that's awesome. I can't I can't believe that you got married in that house. That's <laughs> yeah. That was the ultimate guy that works at the bank right there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, is Auckland the largest city in New Zealand? Pardon my ignorance because I, I don't know much about it. Not at all. Uh, yeah, it is by by some margin. So there's like, it, if you're counting Greater Auckland, I think there's probably 1.3 million people here now, and that that's our biggest. Auckland, then Wellington, Wellington. then Christchurch. Okay. Yeah, Wellington's our capital. That's got right. like I don't know how many people are in Wellington. I'm gonna say about 800,000. Uh-huh. Come at me, all the Kiwi fans <laughs> of this podcast. We're gonna be like ten. The shot of him walking down the main street. The interesting thing about it, I noticed, was well, a few years later, Rick, like I said, Rick and I went to Australia with our family. And I remember the cities like in Sydney and stuff, and they had the same sidewalks, the same streets, like they're covered. They're really unusual. I mean, you know, the like on those shots in the quiet earth, it was just like in Sydney that the sidewalks are covered. Is it, it's because it's so sunny or I don't know. I, I assume it was hot and sunny. And so like in, uh, in Australia, all the, the main streets, the big main thoroughfares had these covered awnings. Awnings. Or? That's funny. I'd never really thought of that as being weird, but you're you're totally right. That is something that we've got and Australia's got because I guess we're so close. Well, yeah, we're so tropical that it's both rain and sun. It's more like in Auckland, it gets really stormy. So just out, it'll be the most beautiful day when you get up and then you go into town and it'll just torrentially pour for 20 minutes. So all those awnings are just to make sure that people can kind of survive navigating around the city without getting drenched. In New Zealanders, you can't really have an umbrella because the wind is uh, so crazy that like mm-hmm. there's there's but there's a New Zealand umbrella company called Blunt, and until they came along, like there was just no umbrella that was suitable <laughs> for our conditions. Here. They had to like re-engineer the idea of an umbrella to suit New Zealand. <laughs> Yeah, it's a distinctive look. It's just like there's no cities in a, around the world. Other, yeah, probably tropical, other tropical kind of places like that have that look. Well, it's beautiful too. I, I think um, Dead Alive or what is it called in New Zealand? Brain Dead. Right. Brain Dead. Brain that's dead. right. Yeah, Brain Dead. Yeah. So I remember watching that. And I don't know what city that was in, but I just remember how beautiful it was. And I was just like, I just wanted to go there. And I almost went. In fact, the global event prevented me from seeing you in Auckland almost a year ago. But I'll get there. Brain Dead, I'm pretty sure, was uh, in Wellington. And has that, because I haven't watched that since basically I was in high school. Has that got some visual effects on it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's like a stop motion monkey. So I think... I think it's high high tech stuff. I I think it was Brain Dead that launched Weta Digital because they had to buy all these computers to do like a couple of the effects of people's faces getting like exploding or something. And then they had all of this computer hardware and just had to find projects to feed into this infrastructure that they had built and paid for. Um and that eventually led to to Lord of the Rings getting picked up and then Weta Digital now does like special effects for everyone. Kansas City. Food-wise, a city famous for its barbecue. But that's 
about to change. My name is W. Dave Keith, host of the podcast Taco the Town, and I believe that Kansas City is one of the most underrated, underappreciated, up-and-coming taco towns in the USA. On Taco the Town, we will shine a light on all the amazing tacos Kansas City has to offer. Kansas City is a great taco town filled with a variety of untapped taco stylings and flavors, and on the Taco the Town podcast, we won't stop until we've tasted every taco in the town. No taco table will go unturned. Each episode, we review a new taco joint with a special guest. We share taco memories, discuss taco topics, and put tacos to the test. We check the latest stories in taco news, and no taco is off the table on Taco the Town. If you love tacos, like I do, you're going to love Taco the Town. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Google Play. That's Taco the Town. Rick doesn't like gross films, so Rick, I'd, I'd avoid Dead Alive unless, of course, you don't mind a woman's eyeball falling into a cup of soup and then uh, someone eating from that cup of soup just yeah, a few I, seconds later. I can't, I can't remember if I watched it or not. I definitely saw Meet the Feebles, which is the puppet one, but that was after, right? Yeah. yeah. The puppets are yeah. easier yeah. for me to handle, even though that... Meet the I, Feebles is... Is wild if you haven't seen that. Yeah, I've seen I've seen all the Peter Jackson films except The Frighteners. I haven't seen that film, yeah. which is supposed to be great. What did you guys think of this movie? I'm keen to hear your thoughts on The Quiet Earth. I don't remember. We uh, <laughs> when did we uh, watch it and and talk about it a year ago? Over oh, a year and a half ago? Yeah, yeah a year and a half. It was the last film we did, so it would be um, like around uh, Thanksgiving. Is this a sequel to your episode on The Quiet Earth? It's a prequel. I think is it the timeline is all fucked up. So uh, <laughs> we're do we do all the prequels after we've taped all the actual episodes, and then we also staggered everything from a time perspective. So it's a real mess about when I'm already lost just on that one <laughs> sentence. I'm like I have no idea what's going on, and I don't need to. That's that's kind of cool. I actually did get a little lost in this movie as well. Like just right at the end, about exactly. So you should. Can I, like, attempt to explain in broad sweeps what happens? Sure. Yes, please, yeah. So this is a sci-fi about a guy whose name is Zach, who's played by the very talented Bruno Lawrence, who you don't really get this kind of style of actor, at least in New Zealand anymore, where he's like, there's something super masculine about him in a very down-to-earth way. Like, he's got this receding hairline, which you just do not see kind of... It's a weird thing to notice, but you just don't see it on the big screen at all anymore. Yeah. And it's such a, like, normal, every guy look. Really good actor, um, but just he, he looks like a kind of a normal guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is so refreshing to see. And it kind of adds a lot of realism, I think, to the, you know, to the sci-fi movie. And so he wakes up in the first act of this film really is him rocking around because he's just woken up suddenly and no one, everyone's been like raptured away. Um, He's the only human left on earth. And then eventually he um, discovers that there's at least two other people still around and it's all been caused by this experiment that he was a part of because he's a scientist, which the Americans classic you guys um, were taking the lead on that New Zealand contributed to. And I kind of liked that turn to it as well because all good sci-fi 
all movies really, but all good sci-fi is sort of explaining the world around you. It's like telling stories about the your own existence and that trope of like America having some big secret project and as a New Zealander, we're like, we're allied with you guys, but we never know what the fuck is going on. You just like, <laughs> the Americans asked us to do something. We, we are not in a position to ask any questions. <laughs> We've got like a spy base here that looks like two big golf balls. And I remember when it got built, because I was a kid, everyone was like, because they just couldn't release any information about what was going on there. And um, lo and behold, it, it came out when Snowden did his big release that we were part of like this horrible empire of um, spying on everyone and like transferring all the data to straight to the NSA. Um, but anyway, it was a real filmic moment of that reflecting a thing that often comes up in the New Zealand-America relationship of where this this little insignificant ant that's contributing to this big global semi-evil empire. <laughs> and so anyway, this experiment has happened where they were um, experimenting with kind of a wireless energy grid technology and accidentally zapped, I think I've understood this right, like zapped the world into a slightly different universe and the people didn't come with it. Um, and the people who remained were people who were dying or were like facing death at the precise moment when the earth got zapped. And so when they kind of start to put these pieces together, they, um, they decide these three people that they need to destroy the machinery that sort of ushered this in. The plot is like, it seems to me not, it's it's relevant, but it's not super duper important to this movie because it's quite like meditative. There's not a ton of dialogue. It's like, to me anyway, I just thought it was so beautiful. Like it looks, I think it looks incredible. You're now jogging my memory. And I do, I, by the way, I love this movie. And our thing about saying it was low budget wasn't our reaction to how it looked. It was actually, we were surprised because we thought it was all the sets and locations were gorgeous, that the effects were fantastic. I mean, if you go back and watch American films from 1985, you know, they're garbage. It was way, way above board and, and just a great film. I saw a real religious angle to it. I saw all of these people because they were dying or trying to kill themselves or they killed themselves or I forget what it was, but I saw them all as being in purgatory and that they were trying to atone for uh, their sins in order to get to the next level, which is what they achieved when they sort of got themselves. And I think it was like the guy sacrificed himself, right? So you had Adam and Eve, which was the redhead uh, and the and the other lead, uh, I saw them as the Adam and Eve figures, and then this the third guy who you know sort of gave up his relationship with the woman. I saw him as sort of a Christ-like figure who was sacrificing himself so that they could advance. Because Marie takes the takes the truck, the and truck. yeah, and he essentially kills himself. Uh, in order to try to laid him with out. explosives so and it's sort of got some original sin elements because he feels like he was complicit in this event that might have just evaporated humankind right right did you get any of that in watching it or did you just uh or am i just crazy and making that shit up i mean there's literally a scene where he's in a church and takes pop shots at a crucifix with a rifle shooting um Jesus's limbs off. So there's definitely some, you know, there's some heavy-handed religious iconography that's that's doing some uh, assist there. But yeah, I think anything on this scale, you, there's always going to be that read of, and also there's a lot of, um, he kind of becomes paranoid at the start and his loneliness 
and deluded and puts on a dress and dons a gun and is rocking around imagining himself as God now because he's the only sentient being that still exists on earth in his mind. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's definitely there's a lot of touchstones for that. But it's like, yeah, it's just done in such a cool I think it's the thing with good sci-fi is when you get a cool concept, and I think this is one, and you just let it breathe. Like you don't have to drill too far down in the exact technologies and specifics with the science so that you kind of create these plot loopholes and these these gotcha moments that nerds can catch you out on. But you instead just kind of like have this quite open canvas and just show the human drama and interplay within it. It's way more compelling. Yeah, I loved it for all those reasons. It yeah. Is um, asking this seriously, not as the ugly American... Was there any cultural resonance to this film? Is it is does it have like like we have Back to the Future and Star Wars and uh, Indiana Jones and all these films that sort of were you know have have cultural resonance? Was there is this did you never have heard of this film before or is it obscure movie that just you've heard the title or was there some sort of New Zealand cultural resonance to this film? There's definitely reverence for this movie and for Bruno Lawrence um, as an actor. It's just that it kind of came out at a time before we had... Movie theatres? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> we didn't have a culture of having a film industry at all. So it was, just, And that's what's so incredible about these guys who were making these movies. There was no infrastructure whatsoever. They were really just seeing what was coming out of America predominantly and then through the New Zealand lens having a crack at that same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the cool thing with, with so much art. It's the same with music and everything. Is that you have these huge cultural exports that come out of like Britain and America and in places like New Zealand, we're just like, oh yeah, I reckon we could we could make something like that. And then we do, but it's always going to come out with our vernacular and, and cultural lens on it. So it has this whole other dimension to it. Like the spirituality element to this, because the third guy who, who appears is a, a Maori guy. And so he's got like some indigenous spiritual, it's not super heavy handed, but like he mentions at one point that he thought he, when he woke up and he was alone, that he might've been a ghost. So he had to head for Cape Rianga, which is a place in local law here where the spirit world crosses over to the physical realm. So like, it was just nice to see, you know, those sorts of little references that you don't, you don't get anywhere else. We like embarrassed ourselves. I think on our, this podcast, our uh, episode, the, the Quiet Earth episode that's coming out next month, whatever, about just kind of fumbling through, you know, trying to, like, basically everything I got out of it, those, like, what you're talking about was from the commentary track with the producer, director, and stuff was like, I mean, I vaguely know about Maori stuff. Yeah, there's all these references I assumed were any New Zealander would pick up on. There's tons of things that I knew was going over my head, and but I, I kind of got the general idea. Well, like the fact that they, they post up a marae, which is a, um, like a, a very, it's, it's, it's sort of a combination of a very functional meeting building, but also quite a spiritual place that's got a lot of protocol and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've got marae dotted all across New Zealand mm-hmm. because 
you know, they, they still to this day serve a really important community function. Because we see more of that stuff now and we're a bit more open to celebrating our own culture and unique things. So it's a little more commonplace now. But to see something that was made in the mid-80s that's got that stuff and it's got that kind of 80s feel but you're also getting a window into Māori-dom as well is a cool kind of unique thing. So it sounds like they handled it well. It sounds like it, all of those these cultural touchstones were appropriately put on display. And I mean, as far as I know, I'm I'm a I'm a white dude myself. <laughs> but yeah, as like as a Pakeha New Zealander, as far as I know, yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that the I did kind of wince a little bit that the so the first meeting of this third character is that the main guy Zach is just is sort of bowling around by himself. He's met the woman. They've agreed to split up so they can cover more ground and they're in communicado with walkie-talkies. So Zach gets to a location and a guy in a balaclava with a gun just, like, bowls him up immediately, takes the balaclava off, and it's a brown guy. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but then it's it's pretty quickly sort of... It's, it, that isn't continued on, that it's like the angry brown man versus right. the innocent white guy <laughs> who's trying to do this idyllic, you know, repopulation effort of Earth or anything like that, uh-huh. which is what I was, I was scared it was going to go down that path, and it didn't. Right. That's why I liked him as the Adam character, right, is to, is to make the, the person of color as the original male, you know, and have a – I think she was a ginger, right? As, yeah, yeah. As the, as the original female. So so there's some, some diversity there was – it's good. Um, <laughs> we got gingers. We've got brown people. <laughs> we got everyone. <laughs> that covers that covers the gambit, right? You know, white people, yeah, ginger people, people of color. You yeah, got it. that's it. A, a white guy with a receding hairline. Like seriously, <laughs> it's a real win for diversity. This film. <laughs> we typically ask our guests what they've been consuming in terms of media over a span of time. So, as an example. <laughs> Uh, we had one guest talk about what they watched. Michael McMillan, you know Michael. Uh, he he talked oh, about what love he love Michael. Yeah, what he watched over a summer. Uh, we had one guest come on and talk about what he watched during this global event. We had uh, another guest come on and talk about. Well, I don't know if you heard, there was a little bit of political unrest in our country uh, a couple months back. Uh, and Excuse me? Yeah. We had, I don't know. We I was a... of the understanding that everything has been completely stable for the last 40 years. <laughs> uh, greatest country in the world. But, uh, you know, we, yeah. we have our occasional hiccups. And then this one was, you know, a minor hiccup. Anyway, so we had one guest talk about what they watched over, over that period of time. Is there a, a span of time you could pick in, in some media you were focused on during that span of time uh, recently? I was not pre-warned about this, so I'm going to be entirely truthful and reveal... Um, I, don't, I don't know why this is slightly embarrassing, but it seems like it is. I just... Because I've been, I've been working quite long hours and quite hard at the moment. So I, I feel like I gravitated towards a TV show that I had seen episodes of quite a lot but had never watched the whole thing. That was just a real easy ride. So for some reason, for the last two weeks, I've been binge-watching Silicon Valley. Oh. oh. Yeah, yeah which is kind of interesting now because I, I think like one and a half members of the cast have been cancelled um, <laughs> at this true. point. Those sort of lightly cancelled in the grand scheme of things. No sort of Weinstein-level offending, I think, was uh, attributable to any any actors on there. But it's because I'm a big nerd and, you know, I like computers and stuff, so it's kind of just a nice comedy slant on that world that I know a little bit of. You know, it's Mike Judge. At this point, the guy really knows how to put together a good story and just do the TV writing correctly. 
where like the cliffhangers are, are legit and keep you hanging on to the next episode. So yeah, I've been watching that and it's been super enjoyable. Although I will not say that more publicly than this podcast <laughs> where I believe my name is protected. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, have you watched Silicon Valley? I mean, I, I mean, that's a great, yeah, no, Silicon that's a great show. A good show. What was really great is I was watch I rewatched 12 Monkeys recently and the guy who plays Gavin Belson, you know, in in Silicon Valley, it, it must be one of his first movies. He's like one of the kids in the uh anti-cruelty to animals kind of group with Brad Pitt. Um in oh, in wow. the he's like I think he's the one who says, you know, he's looking out the window and he's saying there's a crazy woman yelling and spray painting uh something on the wall of the store and and then Brad Pitt says that's my psychiatrist and then, and then the Gavin Belson guy says that's your psychiatrist it's, he's, but he's super young you know he looks like he's about 20 but just a but I'll bet he looks exactly the same right like I can tell that's a guy with a distinctive face Definitely. Even when he was 12 I just like, like yeah that's yeah that I just guy. like jumped up and go oh my god it's it's Gavin <laughs> Belson um, he also directed a great movie. That guy directed a great movie called Captain Fantastic. That's no, that's a. It might be what it's called. With uh, oh, the guy he's in the Lord of the Rings movies um, was married to Exine Servanka from X before he was famous. What's his name? Vigo, Vigo, Mortensen. Vigo Mortensen. Yeah, Vigo Mortensen. Oh. Uh, this is the guy who played Gavin Belson directed. It's Vigo Mort- Mortensen plays a, a kind of a father who's. I wouldn't call him a survivalist. He's just got his family. He's raising this family in the middle of nowhere, and they're kind of this crazy family. It's pretty intense. It's basically this family story, but they're living in the woods, but then they go into the real world. Someone gets hurt, and then all sorts of stuff starts unraveling with their family. Total tangent, sorry. But, yeah, Silicon Valley is great. No, it's great tangent. You know, Vito Morgison, you know, when we talk about diversity, uh, he played a Puerto Rican in Carlito's Way. That's right. right. I that's... forgot about that. We just <laughs> talked about Carlito's Way. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Vigo Mortensen is kind of a, he's, a, I get the sense that guy's had a wild career. Like I just see him pop up in all sorts of crazy roles and projects. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Isn't he the guy yeah. that does full frontal in Eastern Promises? He gets the shit kicked out of him in a, uh, like a Turkish bath or something, or a steam a steam room. <laughs> yeah, that's a David Cronenberg movie, right? Yeah, it was his second because he did um, a History of Violence. Viggo Mortensen was in that. He was great oh, yeah, in that yeah. too. Can I give a shout out to a um, another movie that Jeff? So Jeff Murphy directed The Quiet Earth. Have Have you guys ever heard of Goodbye Pork Pie? No, no. So that is like probably the most iconic New Zealand film in terms of we just we latched onto it for a long time. And that was the, it was Jeff Murphy's second ever movie. It was, he made it before, I guess it was probably the calling card that got him, albeit limited on international scale, but large for New Zealand standards budget to be able to do The Quiet Earth. Goodbye Pork Pie came out in 81 and is like a buddy comedy road film. And that, like, that is a great, great movie to watch if you want a, a, a hit of nostalgia and a window into what, like, New Zealand culture was like in the early 80s is really good. So so that is a film you had seen before. So you know this director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff Mur- like Jeff Murphy is you know, he's he's passed away now. He, he died in 2018, but a lot of reverence for him as a massive trailblazer for New Zealand's film industry. The uh, yeah, I think on our, our Quiet Earth podcast, I mentioned I just watched before we recorded it uh Smash Palace, which was Bruno yeah. Lawrence. 
I ha- which I'd never I seen. I haven't seen Smash Palace. Because I, yeah, I just... I need to watch that, but that's another one that people talk about a lot. Yeah, because I... I'd seen The Quiet Earth in about 1986, and then I just, looking up stuff about it, you know, whatever, a year and a half ago before we recorded our podcast, I was, like, just looking up Bruno Lawrence, and I found that and rented that and just watched it before we did our recording, and that was pretty good, too. It's more, it sounds like more typical of what Bruno Lawrence is, like, you know, generally played more macho characters. He's like a race car, I guess, kind of amateur, semi-pro race car driver who just lives in the country and has like a junkyard and stuff or and is just racing trying to make it in the auto racing and so it's it's a yeah it's definitely a much more macho role and uh i think that's part of it they were talking about like the casting him in the quiet earth was kind of they were kind of having fun it was just like he, he was against his tip his persona in real life he was yeah this kind of hard drinking carousing guy and so they, they cast him as the scientist. And, and you can kind of tell in the movie, right? Like it's when he starts talking about the science stuff, you're like, oh, that guy? Okay. <laughs> He's going to explain the um, the physics of what's happening with the, you know, solar event that's caused this whole thing. All right. Well, fortunately, I didn't have that. I didn't carry that bias into the film. So I bought the performance. Yeah. Uh, I actually, that's I, good. I thought there's some fluidity to him as well. Like when he was putting the dress on and sort of acquiesced to the relationship with the woman, I, I felt like he was conveying, you know, more than just, you know, he, he wasn't a, a, you know, a, a staunch macho guy that maybe he had that aspect, but he also wasn't afraid to explore other areas of his nature because he spoiler alert he sort of hands off his romantic relationship with the woman because there there is a romantic relationship kindled with her and the other male character uh, i guess he's new zealand's first big screen cuck <laughs> big uh oh now you've used a term i don't know what's a cuck you've been off the radar uh short for cuckold is in a man who, uh, I don't know if you derive any joy out of it, but it's sort of assisting in having your partner have sex with someone else, perhaps while you watch. That is a cuck. It's also, I just think, you know, sonically a, a fun word to throw around. <laughs> cuck. It's sadly been kind of adopted by the, the alt-right, but I'm trying to reclaim it as just a nice neutral <laughs> nice. middle ground reclaim insult because it. it's fun to say. <laughs> Yeah, it's what your uh, crazy right wing friends call you, Chris, behind your back. Yeah, Tim, I have the I have the uh, nature of being considered the conservative friend in my group of liberal friends and the liberal friend in my group of conservative friends. So, I uh, probably means you're sitting about right. Yeah, I've got no no personality. I'm just you know, <laughs> soulless asshole that everybody dislikes but tolerates because he won't go away. <laughs> Hey, wow, that really came from well, that somewhere. Got, that might be Yeah, accurate. that got dark very quickly. <laughs> it means you should be in charge, though, apparently. That's yeah. what they say good leadership is. If the left hate you and the right hate you, you're probably yeah. doing something correct. Or, or you're just phenomenally wrong. <laughs> that, that actually kind of leads to a couple points I wanted to make about you and how much I admire you, Tim. You started the worst idea of all time uh, so that you could spend more time with Guy, your co-host. Is that right? You guys met and wanted to spend more time together and thought the podcast would be a, a reason to do so? Yeah. Guy used to host a TV show on a, like, zero-budget, 
sort of youth network that started here. It was kind of like a, I'm trying to think of an equivalent in the States, but it's it's like, and in, in, in the UK, they have like certain BBC stations that are like music focused, youth orientated, but very cheap to make and cheap to run. And they just sort of raise talent on there from quite an early age. So it would, we had one of those and it would just go like about 18 hours a day. A lot of it was shitty reality programming and music videos, but it was presented by all these like very young people who wanted to become TV talent. And now a lot of them are like quite successful comedians, including Rose Matafeo, who might be the most well-known, who's now based in London. She's awesome. She rules. Check out her special. Quick plug for that. It's on Netflix. It's called Horn Dog. But anyway, so a guy was hosting a slot on that. And they were just trying to fill time. Like they had no budget. They had so much time on screen. It was all live broadcast. So they just put the word out going, if anyone's got any segment ideas, bring them on. So I had never met Guy Montgomery before, but came on with a pitch for the Lou review where I would review public toilets. And he was just like, yep, sounds good. So we just went on and riffed it and created this whole on-screen dynamic where we were super antagonistic to each other and it, like it became this sort of beloved segment for the tiny audience of, of people watching the TV station but then the, they pulled the plug on it within like two years of it starting and so Guy and I were just looking for some vehicle to keep doing something so that's that's how the worst idea of all time was born. I had known that story and I, knowing uh, Jim and Rick, um, they're brothers, and I, I've known them for about the same time, about the about the, uh, almost as long as you've been alive. I've known these two guys, and we'd spent time individually together in in pairs, but we had never spent much time together as the three of us. So I I thought this would be a nice way for us to get together, the three of us, and spend time together, which is something that I wanted to do. So going back to me dragging everybody into my <laughs> life, forcing them to, someone's got to yeah, forcing them to be friends with me. So I, I just uh, used that that convention from Worst Idea. I was inspired, and, and it's been a joy. I, I love these two guys, and and uh, so I, I appreciate you inspiring me to do that. And then the um, the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, while I know you're an audiophile and you're a producer and you uh, make very professional things, there was a spirit in the way that you executed on the Worst Idea that was kind of like, you know, I, we joke about me having all these rules on this podcast, and I sort of break my own rules here and there. Inspired by, I think there was a, a punk rock or an indie rock, or we what we used to call underground rock nature to what you're doing. Like I could tell that um, there was um, a bit of that "I'll fuck all" kind of attitude to, you know, the, whether or not you got the right the mic set up right, what the length of the episodes were, and and I kind of brought that point up on this podcast. I think. Rick and Jim agreed that podcasting is sort of the new version of what we were all doing with music back in the 80s and 90s, which was a bunch of bands who were never going to get the time of day from the mainstream. So they all took care of one another. Um, and that's kind of what's going on in the podcast world. And I think your punk rock attitude, I'd say, to, to how you're doing Worst Idea reminded me of like Black Flag and, and how they built the whole community around SST and Touch and Go and all those labels. So thank you for those inspirations. That is... Uh massively complimentary thank you yeah i'm like podcasting gets a lot of shit especially at the moment and i get that because it's kind of exploded in popularity and become this big thing so it is kind of easy to forget but for all those reasons you just mentioned it is kind of awesome because in amongst this sort of era of like it really like podcasting came right at the tail end of the height of reality tv 
So it was like we're just drowning in all of this super hyper-produced content, which was like parading around as reality, calling itself reality, totally constructed bullshit with like the stupidest, hottest people that you could put in front of a camera to say the wrong shit. And then podcasting just kind of came in and there's like no gatekeepers, no one really knows what the fuck is going on. There's no regulatory body looking after it. And actual real people talking about actual real stuff started popping up and resonating with people. So I think you're totally right. It does have that spirit of like indie and punk rock and independent labels and stuff. So I'm super stoked that you would draw that line between like what I'm doing and, and what you guys were doing and are still doing. Like that's that's awesome. It's very flattering. Well done. Well it's the truth. Because fuck the man and fuck the machine. <laughs> Rick, you have an album called, it was kind of a fuck the man album title. And oh. uh, the rumor is, is that you took the album title off of what somebody wrote on in the Graffiti. dirt on your van. Yeah. 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 Band of the year tool of the man. Because <laughs> we had signed to a major label. <laughs> <laughs> it was on our van at South by Southwest, which is, you know, like the whole music industry circle jerk in Austin too. So there's just, it's so tense. It was so tense at the time because at that time that was definitely when indie rock and corporate rock were starting to blur. And so, but it was, it was done in a, in a friendly way. I don't think it was a, a mean, mean criticism, but yeah, no, there's, that's a huge tension and that's what's going on now with podcasting, right? It's, it's just sort of, yeah, everyone's because the money's starting to flow in <laughs> exactly. and as soon as money flows into anything it becomes shitty so like we've all got to get our life rafts ready and yeah. hop into i don't know virtual reality <laughs> what is the next <laughs> i don't know what the next frontier is but. actually your uh youtube pilot is fucking hilarious and uh it just feels like it now that's just for us right we can we can have that no one else can have that but uh, and obviously i really wish they had carried forward that show because that was amazing you know what i'm not like there's not a ton of my stuff that's out there that i'm like particularly proud of but that pilot i think actually does work pretty well so um yeah if, if people uh, are looking for a, a bit of laughter for 24 minutes from memory if you just youtube uh the worst idea of all time pilot that'll that'll come up it's awesome it's a good laugh it's hilarious thanks for mentioning that yeah. i actually have a plug a movie that i was involved in was released today it's you can get it stream it free on prime video it's called loving relationships so if if you're all interested in a very fast moving 45 minute musical anthology it's free if you've got prime go grab it go stream it it's it's pretty funny congrats it's awesome any closing thoughts rick jim before we conclude today how's it coming back on coffee similar to, to tim's uh flirting with cocaine <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably I, I am a very sensitive boy so yeah i started drinking coffee again after a six-month break it's getting me through the day I've, i'm lose it's helping me lose weight that's how I'm rationalizing my addiction. <laughs> because you don't take in more calories for when you drink it, or it speeds up your metabolism. Why is it's it? It's a little you... bit of an app. It gives me something to do in the morning besides eating breakfast. You know, Rick, if you want to um, lose weight, you should take up smoking cigarettes. <laughs> exactly. That's. I mean, I, you, do you want me to go off on my my thing? So I've never been a smoker, I, I, except obviously as a musician. I was a secondhand smoker for ten years. So we'll see how that that works out in the next 30 years because yeah the snow smoking when i was touring yeah was was still 
allowed almost everywhere. I did have a crisis a while ago where I realized all the singers I like and all the best singers are smokers, <laughs> right? And so it's like, like to be a really good rock singer or one that I respect, you have to be a smoker. Don't go down that road. So now, you, now <laughs> you're going to be like, I could have been a bigger star <laughs> had I smoked. No. At age 54, I'm going to start smoking. <laughs> to to boost to your get, career. Probably to <laughs> some other similarity. If, if you want to go like big rock stars and go, what do they all have in common? Ah, dastardly behavior with women. I yeah, need to stop no. being an asshole. But that does that doesn't necessarily sometimes it translates on record, but it's just like, yeah, the the, the characteristic of the voice. And so just yeah. It's it's it started freaking me out. It's like the, the the some of the characteristics of singing voices. I would even say female vocalists, so somebody like Chrissy Hind or something, right? Some of that I think is because they're smokers. What about like yeah. uh, Judy Collins? Judy Collins, exactly. Like I'm, you know, Judy Collins, Joni Mitchell. You know, is Joni Mitchell a smoker? Joni Mitchell. She, I think she was a smoker for sure. a while. Yeah, sure. she, she absolutely was, was a smoker. <laughs> Joni Mitchell. She okay. smokes in interviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I smoked a Marble Reds two packs a day for two years in a row, and my voice still sucks. Oh, so, in, I, it, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's a direct correlation between smoking and singing. Mm-hmm. Even people with great voices. So, like, I was listening to, I was just listening to this Graham Nash solo album, and I'm not a huge, I'm like, I like the Hollies, and I was never a Crosby, Stills, and Nash fan, but there's this Graham Nash solo album, and I was listening to him sing, and he's got a beautiful voice, but then I can hear, I can hear the cigarettes in it, too, though. It's like, like, now his voice is probably perfect, because I'm assuming he quit smoking, you know, 50, 40 years ago, but, like, there's something on that record where I can hear it. Is it, is the one with, I used to have, used to be king on it? Uh, it's about, like, getting over somebody breaking up. He broke up with yeah. Joni Mitchell, right? She left him for is Neil that, Young, that, I think. Is, okay, so that's that song. Yeah. That, and then Neil Young, awesome I don't record. think, is a, a smoker, but then, like I said, uh, like, I was talking to my wife about Neil Young, and I said, oh, he, he just got his American citizenship. You know, he's Canadian, but he's a dual citizen now, just in time for the election in 2020. She said, well, what took him so long? You know, is he a, a pot smoker? And then I, I looked at the article, and it was like, oh, yeah, actually, his, uh, his application for... Uh, American citizenship was delayed because of some of his pot <laughs> transgressions. Yes. I've never seen Neil Young with a cigarette, but he's smoking weed, obviously, probably, right? Constantly for the no. past. No. Neil Young? No. He's clean. <laughs> clean living. That guy looks like he's been clean living his whole life. <laughs> he's, it, he, is he the one in the, last, in the last waltz where you can actually see the cocaine? Yes. From, while he's, he's performing? Yeah, yeah. Right. Kind of like okay, Tim's, yeah. Tim's like, lip today <laughs> <laughs> apparently in certain editions of that they have digitally edited it out but they've done a really oh. crummy job of it <laughs> they added more cocaine <laughs> yeah uh, songs for beginners is the record jim was talking about in the same way that people you know make get confused about kansas city and which state it's in they also sometimes confuse me and jim <laughs> <laughs> what's really funny is our cousin, the oldest cousin, when he was really, really little, he called us Rick and Jim, like each of us. Like we were always Rick and Jim to him. When we'd have a holiday, you know, Thanksgiving, he'd be Rick and Jim, and he'd be talking to me. And then he'd go over to Jim and he'd say, hey, Rick and Jim. And, and we both had, we were just genius. Rick and Jim. Yeah. And and so it was triggering me today when you just kept saying, Chris, Rick and Jim, Rick and Jim, Rick and Jim. It's just like... Went back 50 years to that moment where it was like, 
This is your Australian cousin. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, the Australian cousins uh, can see. No, no, we're different people. Well, I want you to take heed of this, Chris. That two individual men are on this podcast with you, <laughs> Jim and Rick, not Jim and Rick. <laughs> And it would behove you to respect that. Why am I getting lectured? I know the difference between the two of them. Because it's fun to bully. I said it at the st- it's just it just is. Thank you for joining us, Tim. All the way from New Zealand. Chris, it's always good to see you and talk to you. And thank you for making me watch this film. Because like I wouldn't have otherwise, but I'm so stoked that I did. Hey Tim, it's awesome. Legit, when you come to the states next time you come to the states, uh, when you guy come here, um, I'm flying you out to Missouri, to the middle of this great country. I'm gonna treat you to a, a couple days uh, beyond belief. So uh, uh, make it make it a point to save a couple days for me on your next U.S. excursion. I'll make sure I cover your cover your travels to get to the the middle of this great country. I'm hearing cocaine. I'm reading between the lines here, and I'm hearing cocaine weekend, I, and I'm excited. <laughs> well, you're supposed to bring it. I, that, that was why I want to fly you out here. I want to make sure you bring it. I'll with- be coming from the big, the big apple, <laughs> where the cocaine's cheap and freely available, and I'll get that on a domestic flight, no problem. Already sounds like a great '70s movie. <laughs> yeah, Popeye sounds like Popeye. <laughs> That's my. My wife's go-to to make a joke about, you know, oh, have you seen this movie by this great director? And she always says Popeye. That's her, her go-to joke. It fits almost every situation when a man is talking about directors, right? It, 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 does, it does a great job of shutting them down. <laughs> she does call this show mansplaining the movies, which sort of sh- Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it.